Welcome to today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Thursday, February 16th, 2023. I'm your reader, Ann Coke Gare, and here is our first story. Cedar Falls Dispatch Costs Too Sore. Countywide Oversight Board Changes Divides Expense on Valuation. This article is written by Maria Kuyper of The Courier, Waterloo. The budget for Blackhawk County's Consolidated Dispatch Center is set, and some cities are seeing big increases for the upcoming fiscal year. The County Dispatch Oversight Board decided on the budget of $3.3 million for fiscal year 2024. This is an increase of $710,508 from fiscal year 2023. Most cities are seeing a small increase or even decrease. However, Cedar Falls is seeing its dispatch budget almost double. In fiscal 2023, Cedar Falls paid almost $619,000 this year. This next year, they're slated to pay almost $1.2 million. The increase is due to the board voting to pay on, based on taxable valuation rather than calls for service and population. Cedar Falls Mayor Rob Green, Dunkerton Mayor Michael Shares and Hudson Mayor George Wessel voted against factoring numbers based on valuation. Mayors for Evansdale, Gilbertville, Laporte City, Waterloo, and four supervisors voted for it. Supervisors Chris Schwartz was absent. Green said he was surprised at the vote. Quote, we had discussions previously with the Board of Supervisors and their concern was we're moving way too fast, Green said in an interview with The Courier. I'm just surprised they're willing to make some major asks on Cedar Falls at the 11th hour about our budget process. He said the move toward funding based on 100% tax valuations was not previously talked about in a group setting. If the board would have gone with 70% calls for service and 30% population, Cedar Falls would pay about $840,000 or $360,000 less. That $650,000 to $850,000 range was what the city council had predetermined the dispatch bu- budget would be for this year, according to Green. He said he cannot predict how the council will take the decision. We're going to have to tweak the budget for sure because the council has been insistent on not increasing taxes, he said. Although surprised, Green said he still supports the dispatch center and funding toward it, but doesn't agree with the valuation equation. Quote, every citizen in Blackhawk County expects to dial 911 and it will be picked up and you get good service, Green said. That shouldn't depend on your income level, your house value. It was a huge shock and our finance department were not ready for that. Wessel proposed an idea to help out Cedar Falls with its burden. He motioned that the Board of Supervisors should allocate at most $300,000 from its reserves to Cedar Falls. Green seconded the motion. Gilbertville Mayor Mark Thome believed that he wouldn't, it wouldn't go over well with the other residents of Black Hawk County. Quote, I have the least in Gilbertville to worry out of all the communities, but it's tough to say you're going to give it to one community and not across the board, 
end quote. I don't know who wants to explain that to taxpayers, Tome said. Mayors of Cedar Falls, Dunkerton, Hudson, and LaPorte City supported the motion. Everyone else voted against it. I appreciate the mayors have to do the best for their constituents, but it didn't sit well with me that it's a major impact on Cedar Falls to benefit these other communities, Green said. To push this on the back of Cedar Falls, I don't agree with. We're going to have to adapt to that or come up with an alternative with how we handle dispatch, and that will be up to council. The budget adopted at 100% would allow a new clerk position to be added. The other budget considered at 110% would have included that clerk position as well as two more additional dispatchers. Blackhawk County Sheriff Tony Thompson said the one-and-a-half-hour meeting on Tuesday was what he's felt the last eight years. Quote, 100% budget got us one clerk, but absolutely no prior or forward thinking, Thompson said. He referenced the DELTAWRX study, which was a survey to look at the efficiency of the communications center. In a previous meeting, Thomas Thompson said DELTAWRX came back and said they're not doing enough. When we get the results of the questions you had asked from DELTAWRX, and we do minimal to move forward now that we have the answer. Now liability has been exposed, Thompson said. We need to continue forward diligently, not inch by inch. What we continue to have is not an option. Where we sit today is not an option. A 100% budget doesn't move the margin, but an, but an inch to where we need to be. The discussion comes a few weeks after talks of implementing an emergency management agency levy. What's being proposed would move the funding responsibility to the county's budget with the cities no longer paying the fee for consolidated communications. The money would still go toward emergency management. Discussion also focused around how the municipalities of Elk Run Heights and Raymond should be paid for. Being billed on valuations, Elk Run Heights would owe $27,000 and Raymond $19,000. Previously, Elk Run Heights was serviced under Evansdale, and their fire was serviced by Waterloo. Raymond Falls under the Blackhawk County Sheriff's Office. Elk Run Heights and Raymond would then be billed for their services. Blackhawk County Finance Director Michelle Weedner said in order to not have messy bookkeeping, they should not be a part of the calculation but rather have their costs allocated by percentage of the rest of the cities. Every mayor and supervisor voted for that approach. So the dispatch budget has a graph here. These are the total budget allocations for fiscal years 23 and 24. In fiscal year 2023, the numbers are based on 20% of the population and 80% of calls for service. In fiscal year 2024, the numbers are based on tax valuations. Waterloo, fiscal year 23, was $1,478,109. In 24, it was $1,352,055. 
of a, the percentage of change is down 8.53%. Cedar Falls, 618939 for fiscal year 23. Fiscal year 24, $1,168,017. The percentage of change was up 88.71%. Rural BHC, $263,204 for fiscal year 23. Fiscal year 24, $537,835 for fiscal year 24. Uh, Percentage change, 104.34% up. Evansdale, 118292 for fiscal year 23. Fiscal year 24, 77200 The percent, percentage change is down 34.74%. Hudson, 49889 for fiscal year 23. Fiscal year 24, $58,309. Up 16.88%. LaPorte City, 46,438 fiscal year 23. Fiscal year 24, $36,023. Down 22.43%. Elk Run Heights was not applicable in 23 and 24. $27,075, and Elk Run Heights and Raymond will be dispersed among the other cities. So Raymond Heights uh, was for fiscal 24, $19,181. Gilbertville, $13,182 in 23, 24, $13,164. It's down uh, 0.0. 14, 0.14%. Dunkerton, $8,886 for 23, 24, $18,588. The percentage of change is $109.18%. The total being for all the communities listed was $2,596,939 for fiscal 23, fiscal 24, $3,307,447. And percentage of change is up 27.36%. Funding, next article, funding of crisis centers opposed. Abortion activists say they erode health care for pregnant women. Caleb McCullough of the Courier Des Moines Bureau has written this article. As Governor Kim Reynolds and Iowa Republicans seek to bump up funding for pregnancy centers that discourage abortion, abortion rights advocates warned about the credibility and safety of the facilities known as crisis pregnancy centers. Crisis pregnancy centers are often religiously affiliated, non-medically licensed facilities that discourage abortions and provide things like free ultrasounds, counseling, and baby clothes and other supplies. Critics, including some medical associations, say the centers provide misleading information and delay legitimate medical attention. 
representatives from Planned Parenthood advocates of Iowa, as well as people who have experienced working in and receiving care from crisis pregnancy centers, said at a press conference Wednesday the proposed $1.5 million increase is in funding to the 55 centers in the state would further erode re- reproductive health care. Quote, they do not provide actual medical care, end quote, said Maisie Stilwell, a lobbyist for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa. Quote, instead, they push false, religiously laced propaganda on people to dissuade them from having an abortion, end quote. A wide-ranging bill proposed by Governor Kim Reynolds moving through the Iowa legislature would increase funding to crisis pregnancy centers from 500000 to $2 million and expand the program to include initiatives that support expecting fathers. In a statement, Governor Kim Reynolds said the centers provide ultrasounds, counseling, and supplies to expecting mothers. She noted the centers are more widespread, with 55 centers around the state, compared to nine planned pregnancy centers. Through their criticism of these cost-free options, Planned Parenthood proves they are not interested in promoting healthy families, but rather just promoting promoting abortion, Reynolds said. Quote, as pro-life governor, I will do everything I can to support healthy families, not destroy them, end quote. Ray Garbers, who is a transgender man, said he went to a crisis pregnancy center when he was 19 after finding out he was pregnant. Garbers received, quote, unwanted religious information, end quote. At the first appointment, he said, the center provided an ultrasound, but they were unable to locate the pregnancy. I assumed she was a doctor or nurse, as they had told me she was a nurse, Garber said. I didn't know that it was a medically unlicensed facility. The center said Garber's was likely going to miscarry, or the pregnancy was not as far along as the center thought, Garber said. Instead, Garber's found out he had an ectoptic pregnancy when he visit, visited an emergency room with an intense abdominal pain two days later. An ectopic pregnancy occurs when a fertilized egg implants outside the uterus and it can be life-threatening if left untreated. Doctors told Garbers the pregnancy had ruptured in the fallopian tube and he was hemorrhaging blood and he could have died if his visit to the emergency room was delayed. Quote, as a crisis pregnancy center or anti-abortion center, they should be required to tell they aren't medical professionals, end quote, Garber said. They should have to disclose what they are doing right away during the first appointment, end quote. Abortion is currently legal up to 20 weeks in Iowa. Republican Kim Reynolds is asking the state Supreme Court to overturn a district court decision that blocked a 2018 law that would have banned abortions once cardiac activity is detected in the fetus, usually around 20 weeks. Republican leaders have said they will wait on the court's decision before proposing any more abortion restrictions, but some Republican lawmakers have introduced a bill that would ban abortion pills, also known as medication abortions, in the state. Reynolds' bill also includes provisions creating a family medicine obstetrics fellowship program, paid parental leave for state employees, and allowing pharmacists to dispense birth control without prescription. A Senate panel advanced a pared-down version of the bill on Tuesday that did not include the birth control provision. 
A House committee is set to consider the bill next week. Republican Ann Meyer, a Republican representative, I'm sorry, Representative Ann Meyer, a Republican from Fort Dodge, the chair of the House Health and Human Services Committee, said she disagreed with the characterization that crisis pregnancy centers are misleading. They conform to health privacy laws and provide important resources, including supplies and parenting classes, to expecting parents, she said. Quote, they don't provide medical care, generally speaking, end quote, she said. But what they do provide is resources, and they make appointments for you to see a doctor. We want to see babies not only survive the womb, but we want to see them thrive outside the womb, end quote. Rollback fix headed to governor's desk. Property owners off the hook, but cities will lose millions of dollars. Caleb McCullough. Next article. Messages from everywhere. Wartburg Community Symphony will debut Unique Commission by Melody Parker, Waverly. On Saturday, the Wartburg Community Symphony will present a unique concert featuring a newly commissioned work that combines the symphony, the Wartburg Choir, digital images produced by artificial intelligence, and surrounded surround sound technology. Quote, it's innovative, multi-layered, and organic experience. This is really a cool combination of human beings and technology, and it's the first time we've ever embarked on something like this, end quote, said Rebecca Niederheiser, symphony director. The concert is at 2 p.m. Saturday in Newman Auditorium on the Wartburg College campus. Niederheiser will present a pre-concert talk at 1 p.m. This is the orchestra's 70th anniversary season, quote, messages from everywhere, end quote, by Jocelyn Hagen and Isaac Gale, was commissioned to pay homage to the symphony's first concert seven decades ago with the Wartburg Choir at Christmas with Wartburg. Neerheiser describes the commissioned piece as, quote, a beautiful work that celebrates this connection through its use of orchestra, choir, a artificial intelligence generated images of nature and surround sound. It's a cutting-edge sensory experience that combines our celebration of the past with our pledge to the future of creating meaning- meaningful aesthetic experiences for our members and audiences, end quote. Wartburg Community Symphony is believed to be the first orchestra in Iowa to use AI-produced digital images during a concert, Niederheiser said, and one of the first to combine orchestra, choir, and images that are not linked to a click track. For orchestras, a click track is a series of audio cues used to synchronize a moving image with the musicians and requires precise timing. Syncing without click track means the orchestra sounds more in the moment. The music dictates the images, she explained. Composer Hagen partnered with Gale, who produced the series of AI nature images. There also is poetry from Minnesota radio host Brian Newhouse and additional technology from Scott Winters of Ion Concert Media. Surround Sound in Newman Auditorium was provided Wagner Corporation Transcend System. Wartburg was a beta test site for the system. Funding for the commission was provided by the Zimmerman Fund. 
quote, one of our missions is to connect with and pull in the next generation of audience members for symphony concerts. This combination is the wave of the future, Niederheiser explained. The entire program was inspired by and reflects the wide range of bird song found in the nat- natural world, including Joseph Hayden's Symphony No. 83, The Hen, written in minor key with the use of extreme dynamics, textures, and tonal juxt- juxtapositions. Violinist Sang Ko, a facil- faculty member at the University of Northern Iowa School of Music in Cedar Falls and co-founder of the Intero String Quartet, will perform Vaughn Williams' nostalgic, quote, at a lark, ascend- a lark ascending, end quote. Respighi's The Birds, which uses creative orchestration and an aviation avian theme, also will be performed by the orchestra. Winners of the Music Takes Flight competition, a joint project between the Symphony and Wartburg College's Waldemar, Waldemar A. Schmidt Art Gallery, will be, in a, will be announced. Local artists were invited to create a suite of artwork based on Respighi's The Birds that will be projected during each movement. Winners are the are Donica Menard of Treyer, a K through twelve art teacher at North Tama County Community School, Valerie Leadham of Waverly, a retired graphic artist, and Meredith Ellingsworth, a sophomore at Waverly Shell Rock High School. And there is a picture of the early Wartburg Community Symphony rehearsal with bird images projected on a big screen. Shooting at Waterloo Home Injures One by Jeff Reinitz, Waterloo. Police are taking talking with witnesses after a man was shot in the mouth at a Waterloo home Wednesday afternoon. The victim's name hasn't been released, but Waterloo police said he's expected to survive. The shooting happened inside 911 Levitt Street at about 1.25 p.m. Officers administered life-saving measures until paramedics with Waterloo Fire Rescue arrived. The man was taken to Mercy One Waterloo Medical Center and then flown to University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in Iowa City for further treatment, police said. The shooting remains under investigation, and police said there is no danger to the public. Cedar Heights principal's peers have his back. And there's a photograph of a number of probably a dozen smiling, a dozen colleagues held signs expressing their appreciation for Tyler Ruan and his leadership at Cedar Heights Elementary School. Many of the signs say, thank you, we love Cedar Heights. So excited. Col- Colleagues pack school board meeting to show respect for Tyler Ruane by Andy Maloney. Cedar Falls. A dozen of interim school principals' colleagues packed the Board of Education meeting room Monday in support of a new contract to keep him permanently in the position. They held signs expressing their appreciation for Tyler Ruane and his leadership at Cedar Heights Elementary School while complimenting the process in which the district made its hiring decision. A few even held up pictures for the man whose agreement was later approved by the board as part of the Human Resources Report. 
They touched on his dedication, knowledge, and communication skills, as well as his willingness to listen and help when able. His ties to the school as a former student were also highlighted. His father is a para-educator there, and his children are students there too, the educators pointed out. Ruane's been serving in the interim role since the summer. His new contract, effective July 1st, will pay him $92,000 for 260 days, which is standard for principals, according to Cedar Falls Community Schools spokesperson Janelle Darst. The board also approved the resignation of Kim Cross, principal of Best Streeter Aldrich Elementary School, effective June 30th. A 28E agreement with the Jessup, Denver, and Wapsie Valley School Districts for shared Engl- for a shared English teacher during the 2023-2024 and 2024-25 school years as part of the Center for Advanced Professional Studies program. Cedar Falls Community Schools would cover $37,165 of the $74,330 in an estimated salary cost as well as contribute toward other expenses such as insurance and vehicle mileage. A $512,073 bid by Blackhawk Roof Company, one of two bids received for replacements of portions of the roofs at Cedar Heights Elementary School and Holmes Junior High over the summer. Setting a March 21st public hearing for the proposed 23-24 academic year calendar, with classes scheduled to run from August 23rd to May 29th, 2024. It includes spring break March 11th through 15th and two inclement weather makeup days following the end of the school. Graduation is scheduled for May 26th, while May 30th and 31st would be the potential makeup days. Six injured when truck hits Amish buggy near Colwell. Colwell. Six people were injured Tuesday afternoon when a pickup truck collided with an Amish buggy near 3160 140th Street just west of Colwell. According to the Iowa State Patrol crash report, 66-year-old Jim Whitmarsh of Charles City was traveling eastbound in a 1998 Chevy 1500 when his truck collided with the rear of the eastbound buggy, ejecting the buggy's occupants. Laverne Stauffer, 32, Teresa Stauffer, 27, and four children, one less than a year old, and others ages 2, 4, and 6, were injured and transported to Floyd County Memorial Hospital via ambulance. The extent of the injuries was not released in the report. The accident remains under investigation by the Iowa State Patrol. No charges have been filed as of Wednesday morning. Whitmarsh was not injured. The Floyd County Sheriff's Office, Office, Colwell Fire Department, Floyd Fire Department, Chickasaw EMS, and AMR are out of Charles City, assisted at the scene. Charles City Man was sentenced to prison for bombs, drugs, by Jeff Reinitz, Charles City. A Charles City man who made bombs in 2020 has been sentenced to prison on drug and explosive charges. Judge C.J. Williams sentenced Thomas J. Downer, 34, 
to up to 14 years in prison on charges of distribution of meth, possession of destructive devices, and felon in possession of firearm during a Friday hearing in the U.S. District Court in Cedar Rapids. Following prison, Downer will be on supervised release for five years. An associate of Downer, 34-year-old Cody Robert Winters, was sentenced to five years in prison for meth charges in connection with the investigation in December. According to prosecutors, Downer admitted he distributed more than five grams of pure methamphetamine on October 27, 2020, and possessed and sold five pipe bombs and three days later. The bombs were made of plastic plumbing pipe and included BBs and nails as shrapnel, prosecutors said. The defense said in a sentencing memo that the bombs appear to have been made, quote, just for fun, end quote. According to police and county and court records, Charles City Police investigated explosions in the city in June of 2020 that caused about $2,500 damage to two homes and a vehicle. Authorities searched Winter's home on November 13, 2020, and found a 23-caliber Diamondback AR-15 rifle and a 12-gauge Mosberg shotgun. Downer was found with a 9mm Taurus TH-9C handgun when they searched his home that same day, records indicate. The case was prosecuted by a U.S. attorney, Assistant U.S. Attorney Patrick Reinert and investigated by Iowa Division of Narcotics Enforcement and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. You are listening to the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Ann Coke Gare. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now we'll turn to today's obituaries. Merlin, quote, Curly E. Borsherding, January 3rd, 1993 to February 13th, 2023. Sumner, Merlin, Curly E. Borsherding, 90, of Sumner, died Monday evening, February 13, 2023, at the Hillcrest Home in Sumner. Funeral services will be held at 11 o'clock a.m. Friday, February 17, 2023, at St. John Lutheran Church in Sumner with Reverend Tracy Hinkle officiating. Burial will follow at St. John Lutheran Church Cemetery, rural Sumner, with military rites provided by Thomas E. Woods, post number 223, American Legion of Sumner. Visitation will precede services at the church on Friday starting at 9 a.m. Memorials may be made in Curley's name to St. John Lutheran Church, Sumner Volunteer Fire Department, S-E-M-S, or Hillcrest Living Campus. Becker and Son Funeral Home in Sumner is assisting Curley's family. Online condolences may be left at www.beckermilnesredding.com. Merlin Eugene, son of 
Arthur and Emelda Hagenau Borsherding was born January 3, 1933, in Sumner. He was baptized on January 22, 1933, and confirmed on March 30, 1947, both at St. John Lutheran Church in Sumner. Curley received his education in the Sumner schools, graduating from Sumner High School in 1951. On August 2, 1953, he was united in marriage with Lois Neiman at St. John Lutheran Church. Curley served in the U.S. Army from 1953 until being honorably discharged in 1955. Following his discharge, Curley and Lois returned to Sumner. Curley worked at Neiman Construction for over 50 years, becoming the vice president. He was a lifetime member of St. John Lutheran Church, where he served as a deacon and on the church council. Also a member of Thomas E. Woods, Post 223, American Legion of Sumner, Hillcrest Board, and was a volunteer firefighter for the Sumner Fire Department for over 25 years. Curley enjoyed hunting, fishing, golfing, and loved his Iowa Hawkeyes. Curley is survived by his wife, Lois of Sumner, three daughters, Beth, Dan, Coke of Waterloo, Brenda Meyer of Sumner, and Pat, Bob, Munson of Grundy Center, three grandsons, Jacob, Jen Meyer of Marion, Ethan, Britt Meyer of Sumner, and Mitchell Munson of Grundy Center. Two step-grandsons, Corey Darcia Meyer and Jesse Kim Meyer, both of Sumner. Three great-grandchildren, Emery Deacon and Connor Meyer. Four step-great-grandchildren, Keegan, Bailey, Hannah, and Cree Meyer. Brother James Glenda Borsheding of Bettendorf. Brother-in-law Jim Sue Nyman of Sumner and nieces and nephews, Mitch, Carol Borsherding, Mark, Jennifer Borsherding, Mick, Amy Borsherding, Emily, Randy Coleman, Linda Youngtum, Tom, Sally Youngtum, and Kay's Jerry Delagardell. In addition to his parents, he was preceded in death by his son-in-law, Delwyn Meyer, sister Marlene, in infancy, and two sisters-in-law, Jean Neiman and Marilyn Lyle Youngton. Anne Elizabeth Hauser, May 8, 1926 to February 11, 2023. Anne Elizabeth Hauser, 96 years, beloved mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, and friend to many, died on Saturday, February 11, 2023, surrounded by her devoted family. She was a resident of Friendship Village, Waterloo, Iowa, since the death of her husband 20 years ago, after 53 years of marriage. Born in Burlington, Iowa on May 8, 1926, Anne was the daughter of Arthur and Bertha K. Roder. Anne tragically lost her father when she was eight. It was a loss that greatly affected her future attitudes and beliefs. However, Anne, her hardworking mother and three sisters, Mary Rifle, Jane Burquist, and Ruth Roderer were fortunate to live in a community that included grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins. Anne's sisters and, and the older generations of her family have since predeceased her. 
After graduating from St. Paul High School, Anne worked as a dental assistant until her marriage to Herb Hauser, Jr. on May 4, 1949. The young couple moved to the Illinois Quad Cities and began to build their family. In 1969, they moved to Waterloo, Iowa, after Herb Jr. received a transfer from John Deere. Anne lovingly mothered seven children, Nancy Cliff Rudolph of Waterloo, Iowa, Susan Greg Murphy of Rock Island, Illinois, Mary Pam Olarte of Houston, Texas, Bart Joan Hauser of Woodbury, Minnesota, Mark Marsha Hauser of Edgewood, Iowa, Steve Lori Hauser of Cocoa Beach, Florida, and Paul Angie Hauser of Granger, Iowa. From her children, Anne was blessed with 18 grandchildren and 31 great-grandchildren. All of her children and grandchildren survive her, as well as numerous nieces, nephews, and cousins. Anne was a devoted yet spunky Herb's girl and a friendly personality who tirelessly and without fanfare offered a ready smile, lifelong generous service, wisdom and love to her family, church, and community. Among other things, Anne enjoyed singing both in the Friendship Village Choir and the St. Edward's Resurrection Funeral Choir, coordinating the birthday club cake, baking and delivery, and setting up for communion services at Friendship Village. In 1984, she and her husband together received the Waterloo Mayor's Volunteer of the Year Award for their many volunteer efforts. A massive Christian burial will be held at 1030 on Monday, February 20th at St. Edward's Catholic Church with burial in Mount Olivet Cemetery. For those who who are unable to attend in person, the service will be live-streamed through the church website, www.org. STED.org. Friends may come from 2 to 6 p.m. Sunday to the Haggerty Wakeoff Garrup funeral service on West Ridgeway, where there will be a 2 p.m. rosary led by the Catholic Daughters of the Americas and a 5 p.m. vigil service. Visitation also for an hour before services, Monday at St. Edward's Catholic Church. Memorials may be directed to the Cedar Valley Hospice, Cedar Valley Catholic Schools, St. Vincent de Paul Society, and or St. Edward's Catholic Church. William Edward Christopher Chris Harshbarger, March 29, 1948, to February 8, 2023. William Edward Christopher Chris Harshberger, 74, passed away February 8, 2023, at Cedar Valley Hospice Home in Waterloo. Chris was born March 29, 1948, in Waterloo, the son of Darwin and Helen McCarville Harshberger. He is the fourth child in a hierarchy of five. Chris grew up in Waterloo, attended OLVA, and graduated from Columbus High School in 1967. He attended West Texas before transferring to the University of Minnesota in Mankato, where he received his B.S. degree in social work in 1972. Chris worked for the West Central 
Community Mental Health Center from 1971 to 1975. He and his wife, Kathy, and their children, John and Kate, moved to Waterloo in 1976, where Chris directed programs for the aging for 13 years. He then served three years as the VP and GM for the MUD Agency. Ultimately, Chris formed his own ad agency, AdFax, which he operated until 2022 when cancer got the best of him. Chris was chair of the Waterloo Chamber of Commerce, a trustee of Union Township, a board member of the Martyr Retreat House, VP of the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging, a member of the Boys and Girls Club of Black Hawk County, and active with the innumerable nonprofit agencies. Chris had a reputation for getting things done. Many people reached out to him for his help. Chris is survived by his wife, Kathy Harshbarger of Cedar Falls, son, John Missy Harshbarger of Cedar Falls, daughter, Kate, Mike, Richie of Norwalk, sister, Tony Muller of Otter Creek, brother-in-law, Jim, Sue Jarko of Dubuque, sisters-in-law, Colleen Jarkar, Jarka of La Crosse, and Mary Harshbarger of Florida, and many nieces and nephews. He was preceded in death by his parents, brother, Paul Harshbarger, infant brother, Stephen Harshbarger, and sister, Claire Ann Jacobsmeyer. Public visitation will be Saturday, February 18th, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at St. Patrick Catholic Church with a rosary starting at 12.30 p.m. Funeral Mass will begin at 1 p.m. Please join the family for reception immediately following Mass at the church. Mass will be live-streamed on the Haggerty Wyckoff Garrup Facebook page. Memorial contributions may be made to the Boys and Girls Club of the Cedar Valley, Cedar Bend Humane Society, or Goodwill of Waterloo. Please visit www.haggertywaycoughgarrop.com to share online condolences with the family. Leonard A. Bomer, April 26th. 1932 to February 13, 2023, Evansdale. Leonard A. Bomer, 90, of Evansdale, Iowa, passed away peacefully on Monday, February 13, 2023, while while in the comfort of his own home with his family by his side. Funeral services for Leonard will be held at 3 p.m. on Monday, February 20, 2023, at Haggerty, Wakeoff, Garrup, Funeral Services, West Ridge West Ridgeway location with Pastor Lisa Cruz officiating. Public visitation will be held from 1 p.m. until services begin at 3 p.m. Memorial contributions may be directed in Leonard's name to his family, which will be l- later designated elsewhere. For further information or to leave an online condolence, please visit www.haggerty Wayckoff, that's spelled W-A-Y-C-H-O-F-F-G-R-A-R-U-P dot com. Haggerty Wayckoff Garrup Funeral Service, Westridge Way, is caring for Leonard and his family. 
Leonard A. Bomer was born on April 26, 1932, in New Hampton, Iowa, the son of Edward and Clara Ross Bomer. He was raised and educated in the New Hampton School District. Leonard honorably served his country by enlisting in the United States Army during the Korean War. In 1955, Leonard was united in marriage to Marlis Dana in Iona. The couple were just a few days shy of celebrating their 68th wedding anniversary together. From this union, the couple were blessed with four children, Marvin, Jeffrey, Marlene, and Teresa. Leonard was very a very hardworking man and dedicated over 26 years as a laborer at John Deere in Waterloo, Iowa. When he wasn't working, Leonard enjoyed playing cards with his family and friends, going camping and hiking, wintering in Arizona with Marlis, going bowling, and most importantly, making memories with his loving family, who he cherished deeply. Leonard is going to truly be missed. Left to cherish his memory is his loving wife, Marlis, children, Marlene Oringer, Marvin Bomer, Jeffrey Bomer, and Teresa Steele, eight grandchildren, seven great-grandchildren, five great-great-grandchildren, four brothers, Edward Jr., Dick, Dwayne, and Tim, along with several nieces and nephews. He is preceded in death by his parents and two brothers, Laverne and Jerry. Ruth Dean McKee, June 18, 1961 to February 5, 2023. Ruth Dean McKee, I'm sorry, McGee, 61, formerly of Waterloo, Iowa, passed away peacefully Sunday, February 5, 2023, at ProMedica Healthcare in Davenport, Iowa, her family by her side. Ruth was born June 18, 1961, in Durant, Mississippi, daughter of Reverend Ernest and Pearly Mae McGee, Senior, she accepted Christ at an early age at Old Pilgrim Rest Baptist Church, later joining Resurrection Missionary Baptist Church. Ruth graduated from Lexington Attendance Center in 1979. She enrolled in Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi, but her studies were abrupted in 1980 when she relocated to Waterloo to care for her sister Ernestine's two-week-old baby, Pertina. She leaves to cherish her fond memories. Five brothers, Fred Earl, Oak Creek, Wisconsin, Ernest Jr., Joanne, West Mississippi, James Westley, John Henry, Alice, Memphis, Tennessee, and Calvin Kimberly, Fort Worth, Texas. Three sisters, Elder Dorothy Burden, and Elder Ernestine Meekins of Linwood, Illinois, and Mrs. Esther Kohleringald Patton, Lexington, Mississippi. Her baby, Pertina Johnson, Davenport, four godchildren, Deanne, Summer, Bunny, Hodges, Kosiko, Mississippi, Sabrina Lee, Waterloo, Dallas Brown, Kodiak, Arkansas, and Darielle, Mooncat Garrels, Davenport. Her namesake, Roderick Dean, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 
Two Ants, Geneva Chu, Chicago, Illinois, and Joanne Salis, Rock Island, Illinois, and a host of nephews and nieces, cousins and friends, preceded in death by her parents, two brothers-in-law, Carl Meekins and Reverend Henry Burden, two nephews, Demarcus Sanders and Calvion McGee, niece Kimani McGee and great-nephew Jalen Pertit, Jr. Services will be held at noon on Saturday at Resurrection Baptist Church, 738 April Street, Waterloo, with burial in Old Pilgrim Rest Cemetery in Durant, Mississippi. Friends may call at the church on Friday from 5 to 7 and on Saturday, one hour before service time. Sanders Funeral Service is assisting the family. Courier Death Notices Dennis J. Lau, 68, of Olwine, died Wednesday, February 15, 2023, at Unity Point Health, Allen Hospital, Waterloo. Arrangements, Jameson Schmidt's Funeral Home, Olwine. Wilbur C. Nielsen, 98, of Independence, died Monday, February 13, 2023, at Lexington Estate, Independence. Arrangements, White Funeral Home of Independence. Rafa Darlene Stoller, 95, of Waterloo, died Saturday, February 11, 2023, at Ravenwood Specialty Care, Waterloo. Arrangements, Parrot and Wood Chapel of Memories. And Clifford J. Zeser, 96, of Independence, died Monday, February 13, 2023, at ABCM Rehabilitation Center, West Campus in Independence. Arrangements, Rife, Family Center, Funeral Home, and Crematory. Now we're in the living section with an article entitled Taking the Plunge. Celebs tout ice baths, but the science on benefits is lukewarm. And there's a photograph with a gentleman doing a backflip into a big body of water. Um, obviously with lots of snow surrounding him. The Great Lake jumper Dan O'Connor takes a plunge January 26th into the frigid waters of Lake Michigan and Chicago, as he does every morning. O'Connor has jumped every day since June of 2020. By Lindsay Tanner, AP. Coolest thing on social media these days may be celebrities and regular folks plunging into frigid water or taking ice baths. The touted benefits include improved mood, more energy, weight loss, and reduced inflammation, but the science supporting some of those claims is lukewarm. Kim Kardashian posted her foray on Instagram. Harry Styles has tweeted about his dips. Kristen Bell says her plunges are brutal, but mentally uplifting. And Lizzo claims ice plunges reduce inflammation and make her body feel better. Here's what medical evidence experts and fans say about the practice, which dates back centuries. The mind. You might call Dan O'Connor an amateur authority on cold water immersion. Since June of 2020, the 55-year-old Chicago man has plunged into Lake Michigan almost daily, including on frigid winter mornings when he has to shovel through the ice. The endorphin rush is incredible 
is an incredible way to wake up and just kind of shock the body and get the engine going, O'Connor said on a recent morning when the air temperature was a frosty 23 degrees. Endorphins are feel-good hormones released released in response to pain, stress, exercise, and other activities. With the lake temperature 34 degrees, the bare-chested O'Connor did a running jump from the snow-covered shore to launch a forward flip into the icy gray water. His first plunge came early in the pandemic when he went on a bourbon bender and... His annoyed wife told him to go jump in the lake. The water felt good that June day. The world was a coronavirus. The world was in a coronavirus funk, O'Connor says, and that made him want to continue. As the water grew colder with the seasons, the psychological effect was even greater, he said. My mental health is a lot stronger, a lot brighter. I found some zen down here coming down and jumping into the lake and shocking that body, O'Connor said. Dr. Will Corinwet, chief of psychiatry at Northwestern University's Feinberg Medical School, tried cold water immersion once years ago while visiting Scandinavian friends on a Baltic island. After after a sauna, he jumped into the ice-cold water for a few minutes and had what he called an intense and invigorating experience. It felt like I was being stabbed with hundreds of millions of really small electrical needles, he said. I felt like I was strong and powerful and could do anything. But Cronowet says studying cold water immersion with a gold standard randomized controlled trial is challenging because devising a placebo for cold plunges could be difficult. There are a few theories on how it affects the psyche. Cronowet says cold water immersion stimulates part the part of the nervous system that controls the resting or relaxation state. That may enhance feelings of well-being. It also stimulates the part of the nervous system that regulates fight-or-flight stress response. Doing it on a regular basis may dampen that response, which could in turn help people feel better able to handle other stressors in their lives, although that is not proven, he said. You have to conquer your own trepidation. You have to muster the courage to do it, he said. And when you finally do it, you feel like you've accomplished something meaningful. You've achieved a goal. Czech researchers found that cold water plunging can increase blood concentrations of dopamine, another so-called happy hormone made in the brain, by 250%. High amounts have been linked with paranoia and aggression, noted psychologist James Mercer. I'm sorry, physiologist James Mercer, a professor emeritus at the Arctic University of Norway, who co-authored a recent scientific review of cold water immersion studies. The heart. Cold water immersion raises blood pressure and increases stress on the heart. Studies have shown this is safe for healthy people and the effects are only temporary. But it can be dangerous for people with heart trouble, sometimes leading to life-threatening irregular heartbeats, Cronowet said. 
People with heart conditions or a family history of early heart disease should consult a physician before plunging, he said. Metabolism. Repeated cold water immersions during winter months have shown to improve how the body responds to insulin, a hormone that controls blood sugar levels, Mercer noted. This might help reduce risks for diabetes or keep the disease under better control in people already affected, although more studies are needed to prove that. Cold water immersion also activates brown fat, tissue that helps keep the body warm and helps it control blood sugar and insulin levels. It also helps the body burn calories, which has prompted research into whether cold water immersion is an effective way to lose weight. The evidence so far is inconclusive. <laughs>